Well, uh, oh, I don't really want to boast too much, but um, I, I make um, the best lasagna around. Okay, just I know it's a bold statement, but it's true. Um, and, um, and one of the reasons, if you're lucky enough to have one of my lasagnas, uh, there's a secret recipe that's inside of it. Uh, it's called love. I call it love, and that's what I have. Thank you. I call it love, and um, and so I was sharing with my daughter Rayla. She was asking me that question. So, what is exactly is the love? I said, you know what it is. And she goes, uh, no, no, that's what I'm asking. And I, and I said, um, I said that it's salt. I put a little bit of extra salt in there. That's what I call the love, extra salt, you know. And uh, and that's my love. And so we have this little kind of standing joke around. It's like, hey, um, Rayla, could you pass me this? Pass me the love. She has the love. Dad, where's the love? Oh, it's in the cupboard. Um, and uh, so I just add a bit, bit, bit in, and I use um, Himalayan pink salt because it's a bit better for you. Come on, represent. That feels so bad when I add it in. Um, uh, but I'm not, I don't know if go overboard, but uh, for, you ever gone somewhere like you're in hospital? My wife was, had been in hospital, and you eat the food, it's kind of bland, right? And then it's like, man, I need some love. Yeah, that's what I can. That's what I say. I need some love, and what I mean, I need some salt. And and so what I do now, I carry salt in the back of my back pocket. I show you. No, no, don't do that. And you just add it to your food, and it just. But Jesus says this. Jesus says that um, he describes his followers as being salt, and, and we're meant to um, add um, seasoning to an unsavory world. That's what we're supposed to do. And so uh, when I think about a man who adds seasoning to an unsavory world, there's uh, there, I can't go past Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And we all know him as a civil rights um, uh, leader who, who, moved, uh, who uh, started this movement, within the start was part of a movement in America. And, and he ultimately died for what he believed in. He was willing to give up his life for what he believed in. Um, but I don't know if you knew this, but Dr. Martin Luther King, he was, he was also a pastor. And, he, and you, can actually, you, got, you can go online, you can access all his messages. And, and, um, and so, what I, so I've, I had a look online and... I found one of his messages, and here's an uh, extract from one, of the, from one of his messages. And it's something that he, he had penned together back in 1956. And he called it Paul's Letter to the American Christians. And he wrote it, he, and, he, and he did this message in a way that, like, as if the Apostle Paul, who wrote um, Corinthians and, and a whole bunch of books in the New Testament, he did it in a way as if the Apostle Paul was writing to America. Um, so I'm just going to change this a, a bit. I'm calling this Paul's letter to the New Zealand Christians. Okay, so I'm just heading on to uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. And so here we go. So Dr. Martin Luther King, he was, uh, he was, quite a, he was a man of intellect. And so um, I'll try and say some of his words. <laughs> I am empowered to write you concerning the responsibilities laid upon you to live as Christians in the midst of of an unchristian world. That is what I had to do. That is what every Christian has to do. But I understand that there are many Christians in New Zealand who give their ultimate allegiance to man-made systems and customs. They are afraid to be different. Their great concern is to be accepted socially. They live by some such principles as this. Everybody is doing it, so it must be all right. For so many of you, morality is merely a group consensus. In your modern sociological lingo, the mores are accepted as the right ways. You have unconsciously come to believe that right is discovered by taking a sort of a gallop poll of the majority opinion. How many are giving their ultimate allegiance to this way? 
but New Zealand Christians. I must say to you, as I said to the Roman Christians years ago, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or as I said to the Philippian Christians, you are a colony of heaven. This means that although you live in the colony of time, your ultimate allegiance is to the, to the empire of eternity. You have dual citizenship. You live both in time and eternity, both in heaven and earth. Therefore, your ultimate allegiance is not to the government, not to the state, not to nation, not to any man-made institution. The Christian owes his ultimate allegiance to God. And if any earthly institution conflicts with God's will, it is your Christian duty to take a stand against it. Is there any Christians in here willing to take a stand? You must never allow the transitory evanescence demands of man-made institutions to take precedence over the eternal demands of the Almighty God. Can I hear an amen? amen? And so what he's talking about is compromise. How many of us compromise our faith because of man-made systems or because of what culture tells us is right? What is truth? That's what Pilate said to Jesus. What is truth? Because according to the unchristian world, truth is relative. Truth is not absolute. In fact, the unchristian world will say this. I said, there is no such thing as absolute truth, which is one of the strangest statements to use because you're making absolute truth as you say that. In fact, relative truth is this. Truth is created, not discovered. So relative truth says, also says this. Truth is a matter of perspective, and each culture or individual defines for themselves what truth is. Truth changes. That's what relative truth is. What society says is true must be true today. So, a, so if we think about it, 20 years ago, what's true today? Society, back then, um, society said wasn't true. So Culture sways the opinion poll of what truth is, because truth is relative. This is absolute truth. Truth is discovered, not invented. Truth is transcultural. It can be conveyed across different cultures. Truth is unchanging. It can be conveyed across time. Beliefs cannot change a true statement, no matter how sincere one may be. See, relative truth has its origin in man. But absolute truth has its origin in God. Where do you, have your, where do you find your truth? Is your truth relative or is it absolute? If it's relative, your truth is found within man. But if it's absolute, your truth is found within God. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him. So this is speaking to the ones who believed in him. Okay, so this, so does anybody believe in Jesus? This is, then he's speaking to you right now. He's saying that you are truly my disciple if you, if, you remain, if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let me tell you what, this, this, 
the truths that, that are, are in this Bible has set me free. This book is, is a dangerous book to have on your possession. In fact, to have this book on you in, in lots of countries across the world could mean that you can go into prison. It means if you, ha- if you had this book on, for some it even means death. Because the powers that be know that this book will set you free. This is a powerful book. It's full of truth, absolute truth. And if you apply this into your life, it's going to turn your life the right way up. One of my biggest issues is we have this in our possession, but we don't read it. We don't read it enough. Our absolute truth, our truth is found in other places. But when we hold firm to the truth of God, we have firm foundation. In fact, Jesus begins to talk about the salt of the earth, and this is what the series is all about. And I began to read through where Jesus speaks about the teaching about salt, that we are the salt of the earth. And, and of the four Gospels, it's found in three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so I thought, oh, great, let's have a look at the first one. So I thought, let's look at Matthew. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. Let's start there. So Matthew, Matthew Gospel begins with, in chapter 5, where we find it. Chapter 5, we'll find it. And Jesus lays down this amazing teaching, this, this, um, uh, this teaching that just that transcends through time. And, um, and, it, and it's what we call the Beatitudes. We call this the Beatitudes. And if you never read it, go to chapter 5, read it. Read it. It's it, it, it just amazing. He woos the crowd, and, and he's got this massive crowd there. But then he underpins the Beatitudes uh, with this verse in Matthew 5, verse 13. He says this, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Or will it be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless? See, what, what was amazing is that Jesus looked upon, as he gave this, it was a, it was what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. So he's on this, and he's, there's a multitude of people following him. And, he, and he's wooing the crowd, and they go, whoa, we, you know, this guy, there's something special about this guy. We need to follow this guy. Then now Jesus begins to go, look, he, Jesus wasn't interested in a crowd. He wasn't interested in, in, in people who, who, were just, who were just following everybody else. And, 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 you know, if, if, if a lot of church leaders, if you've had a crowd, if you had multitudes turning up, you'll be tweeting it. You'll be putting on your Insta story. You'll be like, man, take a look how many people turned up the church today. Things are going on. You know? But Jesus wasn't interested in numbers. He wasn't interested in, in people following the crowd because the crowd draws the crowd. He wasn't interested in any of that. And he began to say that you are the salt of the earth. And if you, you, if you lose your, your, your flavor, then you have no worth. And then when I jump over to Mark's gospel, the next gospel over, he begins to lay it down even a bit thicker and a bit, bit heavier. And I was like, I don't know, Jesus, I don't know if I should preach this in church. And then he's kind of slapped me across the head and he goes, well, it's my word, it's true. I said, yeah, that's right, amen. Because I, I realized something, I said, that I don't, I, we don't want to be building a church that just only preaches what's popular. But we want to be a, a church that preaches what the word of God says. That's founded upon the word of God and not be afraid of the truth. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 42 to 43, leading to the this, this salt statement that Jesus makes, he says this, But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it will be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. I was like, hey, man, preacher, what? What was that? And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Anybody hand cause you to sin? 
We've got some knives. We've got to hand them around. <laughs> and he says, it is better to enter, enter eternal life with only one hand than go into unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. And he, and he carries on along that line until we get to Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. Have you lost your flavor? See, my greatest fear when I read these passages is that there are people sitting in churches, maybe even this church, that are going to hell. We don't use the how word much. I mean, back in the days, you hear how being preached from the pulpit. These days, oh, no, it's not trendy to say the word how. Let's just talk about heaven. Jesus loves you. Let's talk about that. But how? But, but how? My greatest fear is that there are people going to how because they're going to get there standing before God and, and, and God's well, you know, your name's not in the book of life. And he goes, but, but, but I said the prayer. No, no, that's, that's wrong. I said that prayer. I was at that meeting and they said, if you want to accept Jesus, Lord, if you want to go to heaven, say this prayer. But when you read the Bible, there's no prayer. You don't read anywhere in the Bible that says, if you, if you want to follow me, say this prayer and you're all good. You don't find that at all in the, in the Word of God. What you will find is this. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and follow me. Repent means to, means to turn away from my sins. That I'm living a life that is leading me straight to hell. And Jesus said, repent, turn away and follow me. And be in close proximity with me. And, and one of my greatest fears, and, and, and I, I really try to convey when I'm, when I'm at the end of my messages, and say, saying if, you want to make, if there's a decision point that, that people, are there anybody in this room who, who aren't in a right relationship with God or, or who, are, who have never known Him, and I, I try really hard to convey, maybe I don't try hard enough, that, that, that the prayer that, we're gonna, that I want you to pray is a decision point. It's just one step. But there's nothing special about that. It's just a step forward. The rest is, 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 is you need to get in close proximity with, with, with the Father, you need to be close proximity with Jesus. And I don't want to deceive people. Deceive people when you get there. Oh, but Lord, I said that prayer. You know, I, and the, Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, Many will say to me, but Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name, and we performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. See, God doesn't want your religiousness. Well, yeah, I said the prayer. I sung the songs. I prophesied of people. I, I, I said, God, God loves you. I, I, I did all that. Goes, well, that's great. That was great on Sunday. That was good for that one day. God doesn't want your religiousness. God wants your relationship. It's about being in close proximity with God, with God, with the Father's heart. See, relationships, when you, when you get in close relationship with somebody, all of a sudden, you begin to change. You, you, you know, um, Portal, you know, when we got together, but now we like stuff. We love rugby. We love. 
She comes with me to the Warriors games, and she, she sits down and watches the games when I invite people over, you know, and, uh, but the, the point I'm saying is this, is that, is that when you're in close proximity with somebody, all of a sudden you begin to pick up the same mannerism, you have the same likes, you have the same dislikes, because you're together, and, and you begin to change. I often tell young people, I can tell you your future by, tell, by, by, uh, by having a look at who you hang out with. That's how I can, and I said when I was part of the youth ministry, I can tell you your future, but who you hang out with, who influences your life? Because whoever you hang out with, whoever you are in close proximity with, your life will continue to head down that path. And now if you're hanging out with people that's going to take you away, then you need to change the people you hang out with. But to be in close proximity with the Father, and then your life will begin to change. I remember... Um, when we first came to this church, and, um, and although I had, we, uh, I had given my heart to the Lord when I was a teenager, and, life was, and, I, and I followed God and did some great stuff, but then I kind of fell out of sorts, and, and I fell out of relationship with God. I, I, wasn't in, I was no longer in close proximity with Him, and I was away. Have you ever been disconnected in, your, in any kind of relationship? When, we, when, when our marriage is struggling, it's because there's a disconnection. You're no longer in close proximity while being one together, and, and your relationship begins to strain and gets further and further away because you're, you're no longer in close proximity. And, and, I, and, I'll, and that's what it was like with me and God and, and, and Porto as well. So we came to this church, and, and, and we were far away from God, and, uh, and, we, and we made the decision. We made the decision to, to turn away and begin to walk back with God, and, and we'll be sitting in church, and, and Puru will be singing, or I'll be singing next to her, and people will turn and go, oh, you should join the worship team. And I was going, oh, thank you, you know, uh, uh, oh, no, so I was talking to your wife. And I was going, no, no, no. And I talked to Puru, you should join, and then, and then and was, no, we will laugh, and all that. but we, we made a decision that we are not going to, that we're not going to get involved in anything, because we, we, we're on a journey, we're on a journey of turning around and heading towards God, and say, no, no, not, time is not now, you know, until the time that we're, we're working towards marriage, and we, that's where we're heading, things were changing in our lives, and, and, and we decided that we're not going to get involved, in fact, you know, we weren't going to get involved in anything, because I, I was slowly changed, God was, I was getting in close proximity with God again, and walking towards where he was, and, and, and then they said, and you should join the worship team as well, so now it's so good, you should ask me the first time. <laughs> But I, I also I, I remember that um, the lady who came to our church and she had been living with her um, she had been with her partner for 19 years and, and but then after coming to church heart to Jesus and, and journeying with, with, with her I, I never once did I say to her hey look you know uh, you should get married and all and all uh, not, not at all you know if you're not married if you're living to that's you welcome come to the place you're welcome and, and just get a revelation from God get, and the more you come in more you get in close proximity with, with the Father you know God will give you a revelation and, and one of the, the greatest joys that I had journeying with, with this person is they said oh look um I'd love for you to officiate our wedding. We're going to get married. We're just going to go to a park and get married. And after living together for 19 years, and, and it was nothing to do with, like, you know, this is your, you're wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. The Bible says this. And now I just later get in close proximity with the Father. You get close in proximity with the Father, and, and God will begin to change your heart and, and begin to turn, it to, and turn you towards Him. It's like uh, I never wanted to go to church. I never wanted to read, read my Bible. I never wanted to pray. But all of a sudden, when I'm getting in close proximity with the Father, all of a sudden, you know, I want to go to church. All of a sudden, I want to re, re, read my, my Bible. I want, I'm praying. And, and what changed? And the only thing that changed was relationship. Because before, it was like, you know what? In order to get to heaven, it's all the good works let me do all the good works, you know, let's, let me do the church thing, let me do the prayer thing, and let me do all these good works, and this will get me into 
heaven. And then I get there, and, and then Jesus said, well, go away from me. I don't know you. But, but I did all the stuff. I did all the religious stuff, but I don't know you. See, see all these works, it's not going to get you here. That's just religiousness. But it's more like this. It's more like get in close proximity with the Father. Get, in, get into a relationship with Him. And, and, then, and, and then allow the, the presence, because salvation leads to good works. It leads you there rather than the other way around, getting in close proximity with the Father. And then I get to Luke, and I'm like, oh, my Lord. God was like laying it thick as I was going through these verses, and I got to Luke, and, okay, Lord, okay, I'm trusting you. Here we go, Luke chapter 14. 25 to 34, he says this, a large crowd were traveling with Jesus, and, and turning to them, he said, see, he saw this large crowd, oh, this is great numbers, and, uh, and most people, oh, look, see all the people following me, my Facebook account, there's all these followers, my Instagram, all these likes, that's awesome, and Jesus, well, Jesus wasn't interested in that, I was like, whoa, 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 I'm not, I don't want to just call a crowd here, I'm not looking for flaky Christians, I'm not looking for uh, flaky followers here. Uh, and I'm about to say some things, and I'm going to begin to, um, to draw out those who, who, who aren't flaky. And he says to them, man, he's a great preacher, Jesus. I love it. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own lives, such a person cannot be my disciple. Can Aaron amen? <laughs> I was like, What? Are you kidding me? What? Jesus, what, what, what are you saying? What? Got a hate? But, but I love my kids. I'm, I'm passionate about my kids. I'm passionate about my wife. You're telling me I've got to hate them? But when you, read, when you read the Gospels and we read Jesus, and you, and you kind of, you, then you, you, when you actually read the Word of God, and then all of a sudden you begin to see, no, no, you begin to understand the heart of what Jesus is saying. He said, look, See, your love for me, you've got, your love for me has got to be so great. Your love for me has to be so great that your love for everything else doesn't compare in comparison for your love for me. In fact, your love for, for everybody, your, I know you love your kids passionately, but your love for me could be even more passionate that that love looks like hate. How much do you love me? And after, if I'm honest with you, I want my kids to have that kind of love for Jesus. Yeah. I would want all my children to have that love for Jesus. In fact, I would want everybody in this room to have that kind of love for Jesus. I would, I would, I would love my kids to love Jesus more than they love me. Of course I want them to love me. Of course I do. Of course I want my wife to love me. But I want her to love Jesus even more. Because when you're in close proximity with, with Jesus, Lord, I, I, I want to love you more. And you know, the key to that is Yes, even your own life. Because so many of us are so in love with our lives. Do we love Jesus more? More than living it our own way? How much do you love Jesus? Verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And for, for the believers that are hearing this, they understood what that meant because carrying a cross, that, 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 that's, a, that's the death penalty. And, and that, that's been suffering. 
that means pain. And they go, whoa, 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 whoa. You want, me to, want us to give our lives for you? That's what Jesus was saying. Are you, do you love me that much that, you, that you'll suffer for me? See, you, it's possible for, for believers and Christians to go through life without carrying your cross. It's possible. You can go through life without carrying your cross. It's, it's, the word that, that describes that is called comfortable. Not making an impact. Not making a difference. Not talking to anybody. Just coming here, going home. You can be comfortable. But Jesus isn't interested in comfortable Christians. He's looking for those who are willing to be uncomfortable. Is anybody uncomfortable this morning? You want to be uncomfortable. And, we, and during the Holy Spirit ser- um, series, we, we saw that the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And if we're, never, if we're never uncomfortable, then we'll never know the comforter, who is the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone will see, see it and will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and waste and wasn't able to finish. So Jesus wants us to cost, count the cost. Have you, have, you considered, have you considered what it means to be a follower? Do, do, have, you, have you count... Are you able to count the cost? Jesus doesn't want anybody to begin this journey. Yeah, come on, Jesus, I love you. Let's go. Let's begin to build this tower. And then we quit halfway through. And God be asking the question, you know, am I living a life that's a half a tower? Do you know people that's just half a tower? Oh, Lord, let me, I want to finish this tower. I'm not going to stop. I've got work to do. I'm building this tower. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to get off to have a rest. I'm not going to get off to have a chat or because everybody else has gotten, because everybody else I know got off their tower. Oh, everybody else is done. I'm getting off too. I'm going to, I'm going to stay because my faith's not based on what everybody else is doing. This. I say I'm building this tower for you. I'm not going to stop. Consider the cost. And he goes on, verse 31, or suppose a king is, is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with the 10,000 men to pose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. See, Jesus is looking for warriors. Are you willing to fight, to stand, and not be swayed by public opinion? To not allow culture to determine your truth. To begin to live by a standard that God sets for us. But never to compromise our standard because in the, in the eyes of the world, it means that we're going to become unpopular. Then he goes, the, the verse I was getting to, verse 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? See, the salt we have, the love that I have in my cupboard, it will never lose its flavor because the love that I have in my cupboard, my salt, is pure salt. But back in those days, their salt was, was full of impurities. And so as they would get their salt out and begin to, to season their food, the impurities would continue to, to sit down the bottom until they get to a point where it's lost its flavor. And then Jesus says this, he said, if you've, lose, if you've lost your flavor, don't throw it on the dirt. 
Now, you understand the salt that he's, when he's, when he's saying salt, he's talking about believers, followers. If you've lost your flavor, don't, we can't throw you onto the dirt. Because if we throw you on the dirt, you're going to ruin the dirt. You're going to ruin the dirt. If we use dirt for growing things. If we throw you on, you're going to ruin the dirt. Then he says, we can't even throw you on manure. There's another word they use for that too. We can't even throw on that. Because you'll ruin the manure. You're not even worth manure. That's what Jesus was saying. Jesus, Jesus is looking for people. He's not going to be swayed for what other people think about them. God's looking for people who have has eternity as a mindset, not what something that doesn't last. Say, and he ends with this: Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. See, Jesus knew that not everybody would accept his teachings. He said, not everybody will want to live to a standard. But he said, those, those who do, those who do have ears to hear, I know you will. And I will be there with you. Because you live in close proximity with me. See, John Calvin said this, I gave up all for Christ. And what I found, I found everything in Christ. Great statement. I found everything in Christ. Lord, I gave it all and I found it all. See, the point that I want to make this morning is this. God is not looking for perfection. He is looking for relationship. See, if you have kids, you understand. Because we know that our kids aren't perfect. I know some of you guys think your kids are perfect. But if you're honest, you know they're not. In fact, as parents, we're not perfect. And, we're my, and you know, from time to time, our kids do disappoint us. They disappoint us for the decisions they made. And no matter how much, I said, you know, no, no matter how much we try to, to lead the way, they, they still disappoint us because they're not perfect, because we're not perfect. But we will give every opportunity, stand with them, to encourage them, to let them know that they're not alone so, they, they, so that they can win. Because what they do has, has no impact. But what's more important to us is our relationship with them, that they stay in close relationship with us. But what's true of every relationship, every relationship, that they, when, they, when comes a disconnection, there comes a time when we, when, they, when, we, when we disconnect, we cut off. And we stop hearing the voices we need to hear. They build into our lives because we disconnect. Have we disconnected? Have we lost our flavor? Have we allowed culture to sway our thinking? And if we have, I've got some good news. Could Jesus, Jesus said this. If you repent, turn away from your sins and follow me and stay in close proximity with me, 
then I'll be with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because works doesn't lead to salvation, but salvation leads to good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works where you may boast. But when we, we stop there, well, we forget the rest of the, the verse. We go on to, to verse 10, and, and it says that, 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 that you are God's workmanship created for good works. You were created to do good. That's why you were created. But it starts with grace. That through that we've been saved, that leads to good works. But being in close proximity with the Father. Say, Lord, here I am. Use me. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes from time to time. But Lord, I'm getting back up. I'm getting back onto my tower. I'm building again. From time to time, I slow down, but I'm getting back up and I'm keep going. I'm not going to walk away. Or maybe you've walked away from that tower. It's time to come back and get back up. But God has good work prepared for you. He's got good works for you to do. It's time to raise the standard. You know what the most powerful thing, I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish right here. Just give you a bit of hope. The most powerful thing in a battlefield is the standard. See, the standard bearer is the person who carries the flag into battle. See, the flag was always given by the reigning monarch. See, how do we know when the queen is in her palace? Is when her standard is flying, when her flag is flying. See, in a battlefield, it's the standard that's the rally point. In a battle, the, the standard gives hope to the troops that we can, we can win this. The standard's still flying. There's still hope. We can keep going. No matter how hard this is, we can keep going because we can see the standard. See, what the number one thing the enemy wants to do is take out the standard bearer because he wants to take out hope. He wants to take out trust. He wants to take out faith. Now, I've seen the enemy take out too many standard bearers. Because God's called us to be standard bearers. One of the most famous pictures of a scene of these troops raising a standard in, in, on the island of uh, Iwo Shima during World War II. They're raising the standard. See how many hands it takes to raise a standard? It takes all of us. See, we, we, we're better together. When, when someone begins to fall, we're meant to help raise the standard to remind them that you're a standard, you're, you're a standard bearer. That you bear the standards of God. But do you love Him? Come on, get in close proximity of Him. Come on, turn away from and come back and be in close proximity with the man. And when you do, God will begin to turn your life the right way up. 